Washington football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelosol back here. I'm back. Yeah. In the building. Along with Sam Monson. Do I need like a mask or a hazmat suit or something? Are you I think I'm all right. Are you carrying your plate? We're okay. Carrier? The uh all four kids were uh puking away, doing some stuff. Wife wasn't feeling well. It was uh Don't want that. Don't want that. Madness at the Palazzolos yesterday. My uh my mom actually, YouTube uh connoisseur, mm. saw the um the thumbnail did, saw that I wasn't in there. It was she texted me, "Is everything okay?" Uh, and then she like started watching the podcast with you and Eric. Yeah, and she was like, uh, "Sam said you guys were all uh, all throwing up, yeah. so I just wanted to check in on you." Old man, Dan. Yeah. So uh, thanks for alerting mom. It's all right. Of what was happening. Uh, I mean, anyway, look, I'm, that's it. That's your failing, not mine. If uh, you're not going to alert your own mother, I should have texted her and said, "Exactly." Hey, kids are sick. Prayers up. All right. Listen, I'm back. We're previewing week two. Special thanks to Eric. Yeah. So uh, that was cool. He was good. He was good. He, he made the transition from, you know, planned guest to co-host. Right. Yeah, that was, that was easy. It huh? was a good conversation. Yeah, he was going to be on the show anyway. Uh, Eric and I are going to be on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, according to my uh, Google calendar. Actually. Nice. So we're going to be on there together later today. Um, so let's go. Let's preview all of the week two action, starting with, uh, by the way, we're live on YouTube. Give us those thumbs up if you're over there. Do that. Um, we're going to preview the Thursday night game. It's the New York Giants at the Washington football team. Some of you will be listening to this after the fact, as always. I forgot to do that yesterday. That's my bad. What did you forget to do? Remember, we were like, our plan was to start previewing the Thursday night football on the Wednesday show. On the Wednesday show, yeah. yeah I forgot about that. That's all right. You, you know, inexperienced host you that's are. That's true. I probably would have forgotten well, too. Well, all my runtime went into the ad reads, you see. Yeah, it, that's a lot. It of, takes all of it. A lot of bandwidth trying mm-hmm. to time it up and say them and not stutter. The transition as well. Like, yeah. Two, I was two for three. Two, I got right in there. It was a really neat segue. And then the third one I was trying to find, and there was nothing. So I just had to, I just had to hard break. Go Speaking of Kings, can I interest you in draft Kings? Well, that's what I was shooting yes. for, but there, it was nothing. There was nothing. So I just had to be like, yeah, okay, we're into the next ad read now. All right, let's get into some Giants and football team. It's Thursday night. It's the, the football team by uh, three and a half as of yesterday. Uh, believe that's still the line right now. Uh, both teams coming off of losses. Yeah. and one uh football team you know high expectations a super bowl contender hmm. per sam uh, it's already uh taylor haneke time though yeah i mean look my my real honest to god like actual would would stand by this prediction was washington to make the playoffs and then you know once you hit the playoffs anything can happen steve we've seen that yeah. before you can get lucky you can go to run but even now like, they've got work to do to do that because now look dallas also lost Philly won. Philly might be better than people are expecting them to. And the Giants didn't look great. So it's not, you know, it's not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I saw Ross Tucker grabbing my Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke comp. Did he? Yeah. Did he cr- properly credit you? No. I mean, look, two, it's what, like uh, concurrent evolution. Two people can come to the same conclusion 
through uh, in, entirely independently. Maybe. That's not I, how this I, works. I'm sure that's what Ross was doing. But it's true. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick is done. He's on the shelf now for, I think, the season, though people are saying he might make it back. This Heineke show. Um, and Heineke does remind me a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick in playing style. Now, he's more athletic than Fitzpatrick. Um, and Fitzpatrick isn't, you know, insignificantly athletic. Like, he can make some plays on the ground. Heineke can make quite a lot of plays on the ground. He's, like, legitimately fast. Right. He also doesn't seem to make quite as many crazy decisions as Fitzpatrick, which is a good thing. But he is aggressive. He does yes. get the ball down the field. So what I'm saying is that it's possible they've gotten better. Now, it's also possible they've gotten worse. Um, but this is why watching Heineke is actually fascinating. Like, this is an intriguing thing to watch for Washington. One of the challenges they were facing this season is they were presumably going to be reasonably good with Fitzpatrick at quarterback, go through the whole year, come out of it wanting to kick Fitzpatrick to the curb because that's what happens at the end of every Fitzpatrick year and still having no idea what they have in Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Like, all you've seen from Heineke is good, but you weren't going to be seeing any more of him. So all of a sudden, at the very minimum, we're going to come to the end of this year and have a fairly concrete idea of what he is. Now, maybe what he is is the new Kyle Allen, and he's just their backup long-term, but maybe he is a viable option. Well, primetime Heineke, who did post again, primetime repeating again, Heineke. the uh, you know, on primetime last year against the Tampa Bay Bucks, the highest grade of any quarterback. Playoff Heineke. Yes, playoff Heineke might show up here on Thursday night. The Giants, of course, the Daniel Jones stat. He's four in a million against every team in the NFL, except 4-0 against Washington. Yeah. So Jones just has Washington's number. <laughs> I mean, sort of. Like, one of those games, he tried to throw the ball to Washington multiple times, and they just didn't catch it. Yeah, no, that happens. Uh, so you're, uh, Heineke watch is the obvious thing here. Yeah. I want to see this Washington defensive line, though. The football team can still get after it up front. They played, I don't know, the Chargers offensive line, which is good now, last week. So they didn't get as much pressure as they're used to. Giants O-line, what we saw last week was Nate Solder had some ugly reps. Yes. Some, you know, like straight up Olay reps against Von Miller. <laughs> and then the one where Vaughn kind of had this delay rush and gives him a little two-hand pop. And all six foot eight, three hundred thirty pounds of Nate Solder back that on his back was a genuinely hilarious play. Like yeah. Solder has all this time to watch it coming and to line him up and to like you know shuffle, 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 set anchor, boom, just popped got, straight back on his ass. He got absolutely popped. So the the tackles against you know Montez Sweat against Chase Young. Um, the entire Washington defensive line. I'll be uh, you know that's me every week. I, I pick three or four games where I'll be really isolated on the trenches and i think this is this is absolutely one of them so uh where are you going as far as your pick for thursday night football here uh well i can't back down from the washington thing now washington i'm gonna go giants no i'm going with the it. daniel jones trend here washington and the points all right i'll Let's take the it. giants to cover the three and a half come on heineke all right Play as always heineke. we'll go we'll go a little bit longer form on some of the big games during the week then we'll give you something to watch in every single game let's start with buffalo at miami 0-1 Buffalo Bills at the 1-0 and yeah. Miami Dolphins. What are you keeping an eye on in this game? Well, this is one of the more interesting matchups because so week one is overreaction season, right? You come out of week yep. one, it's like, oh, massive overreactions. But all of a sudden, week two can land a team in some trouble. Like 0-1 is nothing. You bounce back next week, you're 1-1, you're 500. Next week, you're winning record and you're cruising. 0-2 can be a problem. Like, have you seen those 
just massive headline numbers of I like hate it. I hate them. The playoff like percentages because one and oh, you're like forty eight percent or something. You're making the postseason because the worst teams generally sure. start zero and two. One and one, you're forty something percent. But then all of a sudden, zero and one, it's like eight percent, right? So what I'm saying is, Buffalo is zero and one. They're now or maybe anyway. Buffalo is zero and one. They're facing Miami, and if they lose this game, Miami's now two and zero. That's a like, that's a lot to claw back, even after two weeks. So seventeen game schedule. We got an extra week to do it's it. It's true. It's obviously not a must win game for Buffalo, but this was a team that was supposed to take this division at a relative canter. Like, okay, we expected the teams around them to be a little bit better this year, but this is Buffalo's division. And if they start zero and two, and it comes at the expense of Miami being two and zero, that's a problem. It's so, definitely a big game, no matter what. So it's a huge game for them, and I'm interested in what we see from Josh Allen in particular. Like week one, he wasn't wasn't great, wasn't terrible either, but that's going to get people crowing, you know, regression. And hey, we told you this, Josh Allen's not going to repeat what he did last year. I would never say such things. Of course not. Um, but Allen wasn't great week one last year either. It took like two, three, and four was where he took off and 90 grades across the board. And then we're suddenly like, oh, is this Josh Allen thing for real? How long is this going to last? Maybe this is what's going to happen this year. Um, last week, he was pressured 41% of the time against the Steelers. And they basically rushed four to do it. They right. didn't blitz him. So they were able to play coverage and get after him 40% of the time. Miami is very unlikely to pressure him 41% of the time. They just don't have the horses to do that up front. On the other hand, Miami has some pretty impressive guys in coverage. So what happens with Josh Allen in week two, coming off a bad game where you say... You're going to have less pressure. You're not going to be under duress as much as you were against Pittsburgh, but you're going to have to beat man coverage all day long against some pretty good players. Does he still have that in the tank this year, or are we looking at a regression? That is the side of the ball uh, that def that most interests me because this Miami defense, you mentioned all the coverage players, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, uh, Jason McCourty, Eric Rowe, those guys all played a good game against the Patriots. So the, the Dolphins gave up uh, a little bit in the passing game, but it was all underneath. It was their linebackers who were mostly getting attacked in that game. Josh Allen, over the last three years, throws, uh, of all quarterbacks in the league, the highest percentage of his targets to wide receivers. So I don't think you're going to see a Mac Jones outing where it's you know running backs and tight ends and, and underneath stuff. The strength of the Buffalo offense is their receivers. The strength of the Miami defense is their cornerback. So once again, we've got this incredible matchup, Allen, and, you know, Stephon Diggs, thrown to Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel Davis, all those guys against these Miami cornerbacks who play a ton of man coverage. That matchup's going to be great. I wonder how Miami adjusts here. Are they going to look at Pittsburgh, right? Because we always talk about Pittsburgh's not normally a game plan oriented defense. The Belichick tree is a little bit more game plan oriented, meaning they're willing to change their scheme from week to week. The, the book on Josh Allen has been four-man rush, play coverage, make him be patient, take away those big plays. That's what, that's what Pittsburgh did. There was a little trickeration there, but like you said, four-man rush, play a lot of zone. I wonder if Miami changes a little bit and actually tries to force Allen into a, you know, into di discomfort zone, you know, something he doesn't like. Um, so schematically, I think that'll be uh, an interesting matchup here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this is one of the, the better matchups of the week. And I think for, for Buffalo, it's a big statement game. They need to show that last week was either a fluke or a product of just a bad matchup. You know, Pittsburgh's defensive front got after them and was more than they could handle, but they are a better team than that, and they're a better team than Miami. So the Dolphins offensively, 
um, my my track record of of loving a player and mentioning him on every offseason show and having him show out. Oh, that we'll get to that. Is later. not good mm. with uh, Mr. Villanueva. However, got a chance at redemption here with Will Fuller making his comeback huh. this week for the Dolphins. The Dolphins did a really good job last week attacking the Patriots underneath, attacking their linebackers. Miles Gaskin caught some passes that they threw to their backs. They schemed up a nice little touchdown for Jalen Waddle. Uh, slot fade to Jalen Waddle. They threw the ball downfield to Devontae Parker. They used their weapons. I thought they did a nice job scheming it up. And now they add Will Fuller to the mix. You'll have Fuller and Waddle on the field at the same time with Parker, with Gusecki. Gusecki was quiet last week, but he'll you know have some opportunities in this one. We get to see Miami with their full array of playmakers. The other thing to watch is like Tua can't do what he did last week. If Tua has moments where he just heaves the ball in absurd Two circumstances. Only, got, only had one come back to bite. So look, Tua, my big concern with him coming into the season was he had the lowest big time throw rate in the NFL last year, 2.3%. Um, he's had eight career big time throws now. And he's had, what, like, he's had more than eight starts, right? So this is, that's not a good number. Um, on the other hand, he now has 15 career turnover-worthy plays, which is that number, or that rate is creeping up. Like, 6.7% last week because of the two ridiculous ones. That now gives him a career turnover-worthy play rate of 4%, which is getting high. Now, if you're going to be that kind of player, you need to be way more productive on the other end, right? If you're going to be a player that puts the ball in harm's way as much as he currently is, you need to start showing the positive side. You need to start showing the Jameis end of your high-variant skills. Alternatively, you need to stop panicking, hurling yourself in a circle and throwing the ball at defenders. Pick one. You can't do both. Like, if you're going to do both, you will not end this season starting as the Miami Dolphins quarterback. So you either need to figure out how to stop doing that or you need to get dramatically more productive on the positive end. Do you see some elements in my original Jimmy Garoppolo comp where you've got... No, because, like, Jimmy Garoppolo's thing was... I he, His mistakes are typically not lunatic, panicked, like, heaves. His mistakes Either are, I'm being aggressive over a dangerous area of the field, and I've thrown it to a linebacker that I probably should have seen. I mean, either way, it's it's getting to the same result. Part of the comp was that Jimmy Garoppolo has always been a low, big-time throw guy, but when he has the playmakers, and especially when the, when the Shanahan system is cooking, like, he's a high, positively graded throw. Yeah, he's going to move I, the chains. I think Tua still needs to be a little bit more aggressive in, those, in that end, but this is why I'm interested in Fuller being here. But I think a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo's mistakes and the turnover-worthy plays are systemic, not uh, inherent in his play I got style. You. So Tua's definitely trying to play hero ball. Right, whereas right much. now, Tua is the, is the cause of Tua's mistakes. I don't think that's necessarily exactly the case with Jimmy Garoppolo. The pass protection held up all right last week. It, theoretically, you know, Josh Uche with the sack on Liam Eikenberg still, where he I, gets tripped yeah, up. So and they're, they're still massively protected. Like, they had however many dropbacks and, like, six true pass sets. Right. Like, that offensive line is still bad, but they're – it looks better than it is because of how that offense functions. And true pass sets for us, it's taking out screens and play action and moving pockets. It's the times when it's straight drop pretty much back. one on one yeah. and it's, it's regular pass know, more set than two seconds. Block. So um and, and that's but that's smart by the Dolphins to protect the of line course, there. Yeah. Uh, real quick, what do you think of Jacoby Brissett, QB sneak specialist? <laughs> the way the Dolphins are using him. This I think it's kind of smart. Yeah. What was not smart is they brought him in for the QB sneak and then kept him in and they go empty. Yeah. on the next play like if he's the not the Brissett's incompetent but if he's the QB sneak specialist you probably don't need him 
running the next play and going empty and saying, all right, now you're going to throw it. And then they had a false start or something that threw them off. I like the concept, though. If he's that good at you know, like a specialist QB sneak guy. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the case that he's that good. It's just that he's 235 pounds and Tua isn't. Speaking of uh, QB sneaks, the Bills ran a fake QB sneak pitch that got absolutely blown up on fourth and one, which I think on the chalkboard, I would think is genius. On yeah. the chalkboard, I'm looking at that like, oh Those my gosh. Those are the plays that bum me out the most. Why hasn't like, somebody thought of this? So that's Josh really Allen, smart, and they killed it. It's so smart. Like Josh Allen again. buries into the line. Of course, everybody's going to you know, be attracted to that. He turns, overhand laterals it to the running back, but Cam Sutton just sniffed it out. I think it was Cam Sutton. Sniffs it out for a five-yard loss. I would, I, would, I would break that out again. Just the, other, the other one that I've always wanted to see is um, where the quarterback does the same thing, right? Buries himself into the line, except instead of like taking the snap, it's been a direct snap to the running back behind him, and there's just just chaos pile, and the running back just pops around oh, the side. Oh, it goes to the back. Peyton had one in college where I think he had like a failed QB sneak. Like he gets stopped, keeps his feet, and rolls out of the pocket and throws a touchdown somehow. I got to look that up. It was at Tennessee. It was ridiculous. Peyton used to be a natural playmaker. Natural before. athlete. He was, yeah, pretty athletic. Did you, you didn't watch, yeah, you you didn't realize that the Manning cast was like on regular TV. You thought it was just a stream. No, I didn't thing. know I could just throw it on so ESPN2. I, I heard the highlights and then I caught a lot of the tail end of it. He was it was good. pretty good. It was like they, I think, made too much of an effort to turn it into like a, produ a produced show as opposed to just sit down and listen to the Mannings goof on football for a while. Yeah. So they had like, you know, actual segments and stuff. You're like, no, look, just, just put the camera on Peyton Manning. The dude's funny. Go. The dude is funny. He's going to tell a story every five minutes. It's going to be either insightful or hilarious or both. And that's what you're there for. The, um, if anybody listens to our podcast and watched that show, they got the, uh, the fire alarm issue yeah. that we have all the time, right? Sounded like the same alarm as well. They might have the same fire alarm as us. They were equally as uh, unperturbed as we were. Like, nobody made any attempt to, like, move yeah, to the is that Is that real? Real yeah. fire? Do I need to move? It's like, oh, the fire alarm's going off. That probably means the building's on fire. But, you know, we'll stay here until somebody lets us know. All right, what are you looking for here? This AFC East matchup, Bills at Miami. And uh, the last thing we saw is Miami getting three and a half. That's still the line right now. Uh, I'm going to go with – I'm going to stick with Buffalo. I think they're still the better team. I'm going to count on a bounce back. Oh, the points as well. Uh, Buffalo to win, Miami to cover. Yeah, I kind of like that too. I, I do think it'll be a good, good hard-fought hard game. I think if I had to – you know what? I'll go Buffalo on both. I'm going to take the favorites on both of these, even with the three and a half, both times. I'll take Buffalo again. Noted – Noted Bills Homer here. Mm. Oh, Josh. so Josh Allen apology form is coming Monday, right? Yeah, I got the jersey. Got the jersey, got the form. Jersey's in, I'm ready. And then depending on how Josh Allen performs, you might have to sign the apology apology form. Bring somebody, both. Somebody has created. Sunday. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Uh, week one might be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. You can just head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a bet of $1 on any Week 2 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. Now, not everybody's able to do that, but if the Sportsbook's not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests, and they're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So there's somebody for something for everybody there over at DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF. That's PFF. Pretty easy to remember. You'll receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any 
football game. This is a steal, no-brainer. Get over there right now. Promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Of course, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Got it? Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. DraftKings.com. All right, let's go Kansas City at Baltimore. Man, has this lost some luster? Chiefs at the Ravens. And, you know, this was supposed to be the year, according to some, that Baltimore was going to knock off the Chiefs. And Baltimore is now in danger of going down 0-2 after that crazy game against the Raiders on Monday Night Football. I don't think it's lost luster. It just becomes a different type of game. All of a sudden, it's not, you know, is this the year Baltimore knocks off the Chiefs the way some people predicted? I don't know who would predict that, but... uh, That's weird, huh? All of a sudden, it's like, wait, the Ravens might be in real trouble. Um, We had a a whole show on this on the PFF NFL Daily. If they go 0-2 coming out of this, their their run down the stretch is brutal. Like, their final seven games is six games they could easily lose and the Bengals. And at that point, the Bengals might actually be halfway decent. Like, that... This is a nightmare for Baltimore. The North is tough, man. I mean, the West is the West is also tough for the Chiefs. They're all they're all undefeated. Sure, but all of a sudden, Baltimore's own one. Those tackles are a disaster. Those tackles, Steve, Alejandro, Ronnie Stanley as well, Villanueva, the great, as you have been referring to him, the average the savior. I have never said the great. I said the average. You have one million percent said the great Alejandro Alejandro Villanueva. Well, that was in jest. I said he's great because he's average. Okay, he's not average right now. He is, in fact, terrible. Oh right yeah, now. he's well below average so far. Yeah, uh, can't just move the poor guy to the right side. So this is the thing. What I they... did as as a natural fence sitting hedger. Yeah. I hedged at some point this summer and said, "Well, I don't know of all the fits, going to a run heavy scheme in Baltimore uh-huh. and moving to the right side is not my favorite one." Okay, but the run game wasn't the problem here. <laughs> I, un- I understand. It was the right side. Yeah. Might have been the problem. So, Max Crosby absolutely owned my boy, Allie. Yes. So all of a sudden, like, what was, the interior of Baltimore's offensive line was supposed to be the problem, but they gave up the most pressure from both their tackles. Villanueva gave up 10. Stanley gave up 9. That's 1-2 in terms of pressure rate. And now the Chiefs are coming to town. They were the worst two pass-blocking grades, too, I believe. Probably, yeah. And all of a sudden, Kansas City's rolling in getting Frank Clark back for whatever that matters. Uh, Chris Jones on the edge is still a problem. Chris Jones is a good edge defender, just like he's a good interior defensive lineman. Yeah. So now you've got, okay, Baltimore's offense is in real trouble. And by the way, their defense just gave up like a million targets to Darren Waller, and now Travis Kelsey's rocking up. Yeah, and so the Baltimore defense, and again, I mentioned this on the daily because we did break down, are the Ravens in trouble? I'm concerned about the offensive line. That's clear. I'm, I'm as concerned about the secondary. The Marcus Peters trickle-down effect of putting the pressure. They, It felt like when the Ravens were just you know just forcing some incompletions on Derek Carr, it just felt like at some point the Raiders were going to connect. Because the Ravens are still putting those guys on islands. and Zero trust, blitzes all yes, day. Trusting their corners. And Mahomes, by the way, so Mahomes passing grade against the, the Ravens over the last couple of years. 88.3 against Baltimore. Uh, Drew Brees is the only other QB over 80, and that was in a one-game sample. So Mahomes has been by far the best quarterback against the Ravens since 2018. Mahomes against the Blitz, 90.9. Against Ravens, uh, the Ravens Blitz. Oh, here you go. 
um, Ronnie Stanley's out. So Villanueva goes back to left tackle. Oh, finally. If he gets lit up at left tackle, you're going to be in real trouble. I'm out now of excuses. You, now you got nothing. Well, he's been training at right tackle the entire <laughs> season. You got to give him a couple weeks to get back to the left. Patrick McCarry stepping to right tackle. I mean. Oh, so that's official now. Yeah. Okay. So both tackles graded in the 40s last year, uh, last week. Makari, um, I believe he may have been a college tackle at Cal, but he's been playing on the interior for for the Ravens they don't I mean I'm just looking at their depth chart right now they don't have a backup tackle on I mean this the roster. good news they don't is have like a, a classic the, tackle their performance from the two this week were so bad that it probably can't be worse like True. Villanueva at left tackle and Makari at right tackle may still be two liabilities but no more than they were last week when it was Stanley clearly not 100% healthy and Villanueva getting his lunch eaten by anybody yeah not great um did you get a heads up on the youtube chat is that where you or somebody no uh beckett dropped it into the podcast oh, okay chat. thank you thank you beckett i appreciate it yeah so we knew stanley was uh questionable um now the question is answered he is he is out um by the way i appreciate everybody on youtube give us that thumbs up right just click that quick thumbs up that's how we get this thing uh going viral just like our, our monday show we got a lot of good uh reaction there um how this do the is, ravens the way, this is still like technically not done done the report from jason lacken is the ravens are preparing they're preparing to be, to be without him which isn't technically he will be out but let's we've covered it either way <laughs> if if stanley plays they're probably in trouble because both those tackles were horrendous week one if stanley doesn't play they're probably still in trouble because villanueva looked awful week one and i i'm going to go out on a limb and say flipping back to the left side doesn't turn it back into you know greatness not gonna and mccarry is unlikely to be a great right tackle so you know, uh, either way, that offensive line, massive concern. Okay, so the line's a concern. We've got injuries. On the other side, how do the Ravens stop Mahomes? Like I said, a 90-plus grade and against yeah. the Ravens' blitz, which is what they want to do. The same question I ask about the Steelers, right? The Steelers came out of their comfort zone last week and played a different game against Josh Allen. Are the Ravens ready to do that, or are they going to stick with what they know? Mahomes and Kelsey, like... <sighs> Darren Waller could have had 15 catches for like 150 yards against Baltimore on Monday night. The limiting factor in him being held to only like 110 catches and a touchdown was Derek Carr more than it was Baltimore actually shutting him down in any way, shape, or form. He was the only target that, that the Raiders were interested in throwing to, and he still torched them. Uh, Travis Kelsey, I would say, is the one tight end in the NFL that is a clear better player than Waller still as a receiver so he and he's averaged 80 plus yards the last two times he's faced the Ravens so like if they want to they're going to be going at him every single play and it's going to be almost impossible for Baltimore to stop him and if they do decide to okay we're going to like bracket Kelsey every play clamp down on him make sure that's not going to happen then oh by the way Tyreek Hill is on the back end against like Anthony Everett and that's going to be a 90-yard touchdown anytime they want it so yeah, all of a sudden Baltimore's defense is facing this like rock in a hard place. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, man. Listen to these uh, other splits from Mahomes last week because when you watch the game, and I feel like I tweet this a lot or just notice this a lot with Mahomes, we know him for his special. We know him for the special plays, but what makes him so good, again, you have to be good for 40 dropbacks or 50, whatever, however many dropbacks. He takes what the defense gives him. When he was in a clean pocket last week, his average depth of target was four and a half. So he took... All the underneath stuff, he played within the scheme for the most part. 
if he sees a crazy blitz, he'll kind of read the rush and manipulate and get out of the pocket, whatever it is. When he was under pressure, though, average depth of target becomes 18.8. And that included that Tyree Kill 75-yarder, which was like, all right, I'm outside the pocket. And he, so within structure, it was dink and dunk all over the place, which is not, that's not a derogatory term. That's called playing quarterback. You find the open guy and you move the chains. Outside of the pocket, though, Mahomes is trying to create big plays. And again, the, the, the Tyreek 75-yarder is like always on the table at some point in this game, which makes them so tough to stop. And not only that, but if you're, if you're running zero blitz, if you're Baltimore, there's no safety back there. Right. It's Tyreek Hill against one guy. There's nobody over the top. Now, there wasn't this time either. But that's a danger constantly because you're exposing a cornerback who, unless it's Marlon Humphrey, is not an, you know, an excellent cornerback against one of the league's best weapons every play. And like they seen... ran zero blitz 13 times against the, Ra- or against the Raiders. If they do that against Kansas City, those are 13 opportunities for Tyreek to beat one guy immediately and done. And Touchdown. What you, what you see good quarterbacks do, I, three instances this past weekend where it happened. Kyler Murray did it, uh, Russell Wilson did it, and uh, Derek Carr did it on the game-winning drive, which was kind of a mess, or the game-winning touchdown. When you know there's a zero blitz, you know somebody's coming in unblocked, that's when you can start retreating in the pocket and just throw it up into an ocean right. and say, hey, receiver, go get it. And there's nobody better than that at a Tyreek Hill because he's going to outrun everybody. And Mahomes has that feel for throwing it up. Now, the Patriots have had success with the zero blitz against Mahomes, but it's got to be, it's it's the timing of it. It's disguise. The Ravens like to just crowd the line of scrimmage and say, okay, we're coming after you. So I'm just, I'll be interested if the Ravens, um, Maybe play more zone. and it, like I would still rather make Mahomes be patient and do the four-and-a-half average depth of target thing, pick me apart underneath, rather than um, giving just, him the opportunity to create those It's just not what they do on defense. Like They need to have a complete shift. I mean, they were talking when they had Ray Lewis on the Manning broadcast, and it, it was just this, that's what Wink does. This is this defense. It's aggressive. They are going to come after you. They are. It doesn't matter. They are going to blitz and live and die by it. And on Monday night, they died by it. And against the Chiefs, my money would be them dying by it. So to me, this is just interesting. Like this looks like a game where Baltimore is very overmatched on both sides of the ball. But we can't. But a week ago, some people <laughs> were saying this is the season that Baltimore can actually rival Kansas City and maybe knock them off their perch. Now, where are we? Was, is this, is, are we overreacting to week one or is, has Baltimore actually slipped that far? Devontae Freeman's been elevated um, at running back. Is this the game too where you always say the run heavy team, keep the ball away from Kansas City? I mean, do the can the Ravens put together those 15 play drives? Is that their strategy? No, because I can't trust line. the off. Yeah, but from a pass blocking standpoint, the offensive line got well, The run blocking hasn't been great either. I understand, but you don't you don't need to run block as well in the system because it's it's a lot of unblocked defenders and you know it's the, the scheme can still produce if they don't have the best run blocking up front this is one of those because of the Lamar factor so is it is it just a ground and pound game for Baltimore they try to steal a possession or two in this one save the defense uh it could be you know it could be that they might need to play to play that way by the way Lamar up and down game uh he was under pressure like crazy as we're saying there was elements where he got out of it and made some big plays, but he still had the two big fumbles at the end on Monday Night Football. Uh, I'm taking the Chiefs after all that. I'm yep. taking the favorites at three and a half for three yep. straight games. I don't love it, but I, I'd like the Chiefs to to win this thing. I I mean, Baltimore needs to show something impressive in terms of a week-to-week turnaround to not be in trouble in this game. 
Yeah, I I, I want to see what they do defensively if they do. The, literally, the only good news for them is that they're at home. Yeah, that's true. That's about it. They have been playing. They have played the Chiefs in Kansas City. I think every time. I don't know if they've played in Baltimore yet. So that could happen. And that's usually what happens in week one to two. The overreaction is generally a teams that were at home who looked good or teams that were away that looked bad. And all of a sudden they have a home game or flip it. And it's like, okay, things change. That, that is something that often changes in week two. Before we get into the next se- segment, got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is playing our leagues on Fantrax this season. Features multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage, and you can create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. Get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus $6,000. It's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. All right, we have Dallas, the Cowboys, traveling to the Los Angeles Chargers as one of our games of the week. Chargers favored by three and a half as of press time. And yeah, it's press time. Press time? Yeah, that's what they call it. One and no Chargers, not for not for recording. No, or in fact, anything for the last 20 years. Press time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do with the newspapers. Chargers by three and a half. They're one and oh. Dallas is 0 and one. Dallas is in danger of going to 0 and two, but tough start with the Bucks and the Chargers. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is out. Demarcus Lawrence out. Randy Gregory is probably out. Lyle Collins. Lyle out. Collins is out at right tackle. Michael well. Gallup out. All of a sudden, Dallas is facing a lot of problematic injuries, um, and that's that's going to be an issue. Like they they were, I think, vaguely impressive against Tampa Bay, even though that game was as close as it was because of Tampa Bay's turnovers. Yeah, like I still think Dallas came out of that with some credit in the bank. You know, this was this is an offense that is probably going to look very good. But now you've lost Michael Gallup, uh, one of those three wide receivers. I think Dallas's wide receiver trio, one, two, three, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup is the best trio in the NFL, one, two, three. Now they don't have one of those guys. So Cedric Wilson is going to be tasked with stepping up into that role. What does that look like? The, my hunch would be that Cedric Wilson plays basically the slot. And now CeeDee Lamb gets an opportunity to play outside almost the whole time as opposed to inside the whole season as, as a rookie and then splitting time in week one. Now he goes to like a permanent outside receiver. Wilson op- operates in the slot. Amari Cooper does his thing. I still think it's a very good trio, but th- they're going to need to sing because Dallas's defense might get annihilated. So in that first game, Dallas you know, dropped back 60 times you know, pretty much put the ball in Dak's hands. Um, I have said on multiple shows this year, uh, it should be Dak's team, put the ball in his hands, chuck it, score 30 points, hold the other team to less than 30. Obviously, they, they gave up 31, so the strategy didn't work. Fail. There were already people. Um, it might only be Mike Florio, but there were already people <laughs> saying, oh, Dallas got to run the ball better yeah. or run the ball more or whatever it is. So that was – week one was a weird game because it was clearly a tactical decision – of we can't run the ball against this and team. that's how you play that's how i think teams should be playing right. against the like box the anyway tweet that i had of of uh vita vea you know with the the runaway truck just smashing cars left and right okay if if we've accepted that that's a fair reflection of what vita vea was doing that week one now you can't talk about wanting to run the ball more right because you're running into that right you can't run the ball at the mac truck that's heading in your direction you will get splatted. That's just not going to work. And next to Vita Vea was in Damakin Sue, and the defensive ends were playing well as well. So you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't look at that 
destruction by Vita Vea, just bench pressing offensive linemen back into the quarterback and say, man, what we really did wrong here was just not run the ball enough. That's just, that's just dumb. So they deliberately looked at this and said, we are not going to get anything going on the ground. We're going to run away from that if we run at all. And then we're going to put the ball in Dak's hands and use quick passes and make that the staple of the offense. That was a smart decision. Now, is the same thing true for the Chargers defense? I would say no. I would say you can run against the Chargers defense. They have good players. You know, Joey Bosa is going to be a problem, but more on the edge than up the middle. So if they come into this game and Dak is still throwing the ball 60 times, now you might have an argument. Now you might say, okay, I don't know. I don't know if you want to lean into this quite this hard. Maybe you can run the ball a little bit harder up the middle this time. But certainly for week one, I just don't think it's a valid argument. The other element to that is the Chargers with the Brandon Staley scheme where they want to play too high, rotate their safeties. They're, they're inviting it. They're inviting the run. They they only had uh, the football team who the Chargers played last week only had four rushes against eight or, eight or more guys in the box. Um, with the box, with, with, when you're facing the box, even whether they have eight in the box or not, you're, that's a defensive front. Yes, yeah, so you don't want to you know, bang your head against the wall. And the strategy against the Bucs who play a ton of zone, can't they can get picked apart. And that's what Dallas did. They did a really nice job, I think, in the passing game. It was a very efficient passing a game. Um, that strategy was fine. Um, they needed to play better defensively. They did get some turnovers to make it closer. The defense the defense played well enough to give up 40, <laughs> but, they gave, but they had, uh, it's tough to say, they earned the turnovers that they forced. But if they didn't force those turnovers, the Cowboys are probably giving up 45 points. I mean, yeah. that's the bottom line. So it's this is exactly the same scenario as Dallas was faced with for the first month of last season before Dak went down. And I'm like, going to keep it was hyper offense, incredible production. They still weren't winning enough games because the defense was just getting annihilated. And the other sneaky thing about all of this, um, as much as you want to lean into Dak being amazing and Dak carrying this team and blah blah. Dak is quite turnover prone. Like for that, for a quarterback who you need to, you can ha- you can give Mahomes the ball 60 times and be pretty confident that he's not going to make many major catastrophic errors. Right. I don't know that you can do the same thing to Dak. It's still your best option because what is your alternative? But you're going to see some mistakes from Dak. Like the play where he tried to throw the ball through two separate defenders in the end zone should have been an interception. Like, should have been a bad interception. Threw the ball right at Levante David, who deflected it. And if he hadn't deflected it, the safety right behind him was probably picking it off. Dak does that more than you would like. And there, there is still a thing that separates Dak from that very top echelon of quarterbacks. He might be, he might right now be above, oh, did you hear did you, yesterday's show? We had an emailer say, look, the Matt Ryan inflection point is just too wordy, it's too long. Can't, can't have it. So his suggestion was the Ryan Rubicon. The Ryan Rubicon. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be like MRIP or anything like that? No, 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 you can't, no. Look, who, who, that's what, that's who what abbreviates things? That's what days. Austin would do. Right. So the, the Ryan, M-rip. The oh, Ryan the Rubicon. The Ryan Rubicon. A lot of people have been asking us about that. We've been saying Matt Ryan is the cutoff point between top elite. eight quarterbacks, elite-ish quarterbacks. Elite quarterbacks that can elevate the team around. Elevators. Them. We'll call them, yeah, QB no, elevators. Don't, don't more do than that. Anything. Stop. No, no. No, I'm stamping. No, nip that in the bud right now. Under no circumstances are we calling those quarterbacks elevators. Not elevators? No. Stop it. Rather than escalators. Stop it right now. Okay, the Rubicon, sure. So anyway, 
Dak, Dak might be above the Ryan Rubicon right now, but the difference between him and Mahomes, Tom Brady, the very pinnacle of quarterbacks in the NFL, is he just puts the ball in harm's way twice as much as those well, guys Tom do. Tom Brady had two interceptions, and Dak only had one Stop. on Thursday night. Stop so, it. Um, anyway, I think uh, the other thing, Chargers defense. Derwin is back. So at least don't, I have some player that, don't jinx it. that I like. We can't mention Derwin oh, on this show just... because it will jinx him. Okay. You can refer to him as the player. Okay, so there's a guy on the Chargers who's 6'2", 215, mm -hmm. fast in the whole thing. And he played 12 snaps in the box, four snaps right up along the defensive line, right on the line of scrimmage, 19 in the slot, and 21 at free safety. The, the movable chess piece that I always like to defer, uh, refer to on the defensive side of the ball. Um, this Chargers player, uh, number one coverage grade in the NFL last week, flying around the field, and you know him and him and Brandon Staley seem to be getting along so far. Derwin James is ah! the, Derwin name. James is a player we mustn't mention. The player on defense for the Chargers, <laughs> uh, whose name must not be mentioned, is the player that Pittsburgh Steelers fans believe Minka Fitzpatrick is. Oh, don't bring it up. Um, Der, uh, damn it, the the player is genuinely one of the most impactful defensive matchup weapons in the league he does everything well he can make every play from pretty much any position on defense and rarely does anything wrong which i think is a critical aspect of all this if they get that player for the rest of the season that is a jalen ramsey-esque change it's a complete dynamic shift on that defense they you know we had a discussion yesterday with Eric about the way the Rams build their defense and um, Jordan Rodrique, is that her name? Yeah. She has, uh, I think, relayed the description of this Rams defense as um, kind of the like a, a gravity that those two guys have, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, that everything revolves around those two guys on that defense. The player that the Chargers have and Joey Bosa I think can form the same concept, right? Gravity guy. Of, yeah, of everything revolving around those two on this defense. The back the back seven revolves around the player and yeah. the front four revolves around Joey Bosa. The interesting thing about the player that the Chargers use is <laughs> the same scheme, Staley. Uh, it's the way the Rams are using Jalen Ramsey, like in stylistically, even yeah. just playing in the slot and moving around in the whole thing. And we've joked, I mean, we've seen the, Keenan Allen against this dude one-on-one -on -one in training camp and you're not supposed to have a safety with that type of size and movement skills hanging with a top five route runner in people, the NFL. Yeah, every week now that Justin Herbert is a thing, people are wising up to the idea that Keenan Allen is a freak route runner and that guy gets open against everybody. And week to week, you're seeing these highlight reels on Twitter of Keenan Allen just destroying people running routes. Derwin James in training camp that doesn't count. We can't jinx him in training camps. Already happens. He didn't get hurt in training camp. In so training camp, Derwin James is going one on one with Keenan Allen on like cornerback reps, and not just like hanging with him and not being embarrassed, but like winning the reps, getting interceptions, breaking passes up. I like. There are three cornerbacks in the NFL. I would be confident have any kind of success against Keenan Allen in a one on one situation, which is effectively set up to be a DB loss. Right? You go watch the one on ones in the Senior Bowl every year. It's a bloodbath. Like, DBs do not win those. They get wrecked. Derwin is winning them against the best route runner in the NFL. He could be the number one cornerback in the NFL 
but he's not playing there most of the time. Oh, man, I know. He's so good. Anyway, I, Derwin, that dude from training camp. Oh, yeah. Training a, camp Derwin, we can mention. Training camp Derwin. Yeah. Regular season, it's the player. There's a week one star on the Chargers defense. Bosa getting after it. And Justin Herbert, we mentioned it. Uh, very good. He was He was kind of the winner of he played way better than the stat line because he only had one touchdown and he had one interception and I think it was less than seven yards per attempt, but a bunch of drop passes in there and just a big boy drive to finish it up. The the two most impressive things for me about Herbert, just how the arm plays. I mentioned this every single show. The arm is is spectacular and it shows it. it, it, He uses it deep out to cover two shots. It's all there, but game management from him, has been way better than what we saw at Oregon. Last year, he did have one or two bad plays per game. Like, he'd have a one or two yeah. really This was a much cleaner game. turnover-worthy plays per game. Week one was a much cleaner game than we saw from him last year. And he was just better down-to-down, the in-the-pocket, the non-pressured stuff, all the routine stuff. He was just way better. Also, endless respect for the just the sheer majesty of that farmer's tan he has going on. I didn't see that. No. Have you not seen it? Like no. It's like a... It's like a flat line right here for his farmer's hat. I got quite one, but he's got like, his is bad. <laughs> like, and the thing is, I can get away with it because I'm never wearing anything other than a t-shirt or a polo, right? When he puts on the uniform, it's like cut up at the shoulder and you get this, oh, like so you're this seeing, amount of white. You're seeing the pale and then the... Yeah, you're seeing the line. Yeah, that's, that's rough. But look, if you're, I mean, kudos to any man who's prepared to rock that and just embrace it. Who do you like in this one? Chargers by three and a half, man. The first three games are all uh, first four games are all three and a half point spreads. I like the Chargers to win and Dallas to cover. I still have confidence in that offense. I'm gonna say the same thing because the history of of Dak and Mike McCarthy right now is a whole bunch of a lot of points and you know, small losses. Hmm. Right? So call that again. Oh man, if Dallas falls to 0-2. It might uh, not matter if Washington also falls to 0-2. It, it might not matter again in the NFL. Suddenly the Philadelphia Eagles are running away with the division. All right, let's get to uh, more rapid fire around the uh, around the NFL here. Um, San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. Pair of 1-0 teams here. Uh, Niners are favored by three here on the road. The Eagles were so impressive last week. How much was it playing the, the Falcons? How much right. do we buy into their defensive line? Number three pass rush grade coming out of the week. Jalen Hurts, the number two passing grade coming out of the week. Just some really good stuff. Touchdown the field. That touchdown that he threw to Dallas Goddard was fantastic on the scramble drill. Can Jalen Hurts back that up? Exactly what I want to see. Um, that's the huge question. He was really impressive week one. I thought he looked different. Like that looked like a significant step forward. On the other hand, like highest percentage of yards after the catch in the NFL in week one. Huge. Like all of his work was receivers making things happen. Um, I just, I would like to see them be able to show it when they need it a bit more. Average depth of target of 3.6 yards that week one. So you have to look at this and say, all right, a huge amount of that is that Falcons defense just being atrocious. Now you're going to go up against a better defense, albeit one that's still reeling in the secondary. Jason Verrett, poor guy going down. All of a sudden, the 49ers have some work to do at corner. So it's a better test, but it is a test. So I just want to see, can they still, can Jalen Hurts still be that good when a little bit more is needed from him? Uh, it's really a battle of two of the better run games in the NFL here, too. Uh, obviously, we know about Shanahan and their run game. But the thing we kept saying about Hurts, raising the floor of the offense and him as part of the run, that was a part of this, too. As as impressive as Hurts was as a passer on Sunday, 
it's also the running game. So I'm look um, that is more efficient for the Eagles because because Hertz is in there. So I think that's going to be a battle to watch in this one. I want to see this Niners O line, you know, McGlinchey and, and Trent Williams at the tackle spot going against these uh, these Eagles pass rushers that were very good last week against the Falcons. Um, also, want to see if we see more Trey Lance. You know, they did they get to a point where the game got out of hand for the Niners and they didn't need the trickeration because they're treating Trey Lance like a backup change. He's a change of pace guy right now. That's how they're treating him. And you don't need a change of pace if you're up by 100 like the Niners were until they almost blew the game. Are we going to see a little bit more Trey Lance in this one? I doubt it. I think Trey Lance is there. So the team spend a day preparing for Trey Lance in the course of a general week. Like he's going to get five snaps every single week until either injury forces him in the lineup or eventually they make a switch to him, which might not come till next year. But he's there so that every opposition has to spend a day preparing for the cha- or for the, the Trey Lance package. I doubt they scale up his involvement much. I got to take an underdog at some point. <laughs> Do you? Is that my reasoning for taking the Eagles here? I think I just I think they're good. They called a good, they called a good game offensively. Hertz had the lowest average depth of target in the league, most yards after the catch. Um, but again, the grade was good. It wasn't all dink and duck. He was making yeah. plays beyond the line of scrimmage as well. You've got the yak factor. You've got the the run game factor. And they played one snap of man coverage. The Eagles are a lot like what the Colts were when, you know, when Sirianni was there. What the Colts have been the last couple of years, this safe, zone-heavy scheme. They played it great uh, against the Falcons. I think, I think the Eagles have some elements to play some good football. So I'm taking the Eagles here. They were impressive. Um, I thought that they looked much better than I expected them to week one. Another thing that... Am I overreacting, though, because it was the, Fal- the Falcons looked maybe, like a mess, yeah. too. But look, Philadelphia's offensive line also looks a lot better than we were expecting it to. It's sort of pieced itself together, and it's back. It's a top 10 unit now, according to PFF's latest offensive line rankings. Um, I, I'm with you. I, think, I don't think they'll win, but I think they definitely cover. All right. I'll take the Eagles to cover. By three, maybe the nine. I, I like the Niners as a better team. That's why they're favored by three on the road. So again, Vegas thinks they're about six points better on a neutral field if they're if they're factoring home field the same way they normally do. Um, how about the Raiders at the Steelers? Battle of one and O's. The uh, Steelers making their home debut here. Five and a half point favorites. What are you looking for in this one? Um, are, are the Raiders going to use anybody else on offense? Like Darren Waller was it in week one. Now it was working, so okay. But at some point... I mean, they missed like the first 10 and then it started working. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, the first quarter was absurd. He was on, he was at like 10 targets and three catches or something ridiculous. Um, but it, like you have weapons. I mean, they threw the ball late to Brian Edwards, who's been getting talked about as baby T.O. and Randy Moss in training camp, and he made a play. So maybe use him more. And Henry Ruggs was running free deep in the secondary for most of the day. The guy can't just be a decoy all game. You look ridiculous. So... How about we spread it around a little bit and start targeting the people that aren't named Darren Waller? What about the Raiders' D-line? By far the highest pass rush grade after week one. Going up against the Steelers' offensive line, which was fine, but it doesn't it doesn't lose the question marks that they come in with. Dan Moore was fantastic as a rookie at left tackle. You know, rookie uh, making a, his NFL debut last week was good. But I think if, if the Raiders are legit getting after the quarterback, that's going to be an issue in this game for the Steelers yeah this is I mean I don't think the Raiders defensive line was as good as it looked week one I think that was very much a product of the Ravens that being said Pittsburgh's offensive line is probably not good so it should still be able to get production like they might not 
you know, they might not, the tackles might not combine for essentially 20 pressures over the course of the game, but they might still give up a reasonable amount and put Ben Roethlisberger under some pressure. And now anytime that happens, I think their initial or their immediate instinctive reaction is to go to that quick, short, you know, dink and dunk passing game, which is fine, but they need more than that. I also want to see what Pittsburgh does defensively because I've said it a million times here. Different scheme for them last week. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was playing all over the field. He did have some nice plays, some yeah. flash plays. His PFF grade was not good. And the reason for that, Minka had two open field attempts on Josh Allen. One, he almost fell over. He fell over to the point that he actually didn't get in position to miss the tackle. So he still <laughs> got the same grade, but he kind of like, you know, he fell over. Um Two really bad grades there. So an actual missed tackle on Josh Allen. One where he couldn't get in position to actually miss the tackle. And he got whooped by Stephon Diggs. Yeah, it's Stephon Diggs. He, was, he got forced into a one-on-one and Josh Allen overthrew him. Um, there were a couple other plays in coverage where he was kind of the coverage person and, and allowed. It was a difficult play, but either way. The Chargers player would never. Just no, he would never. I'm just saying Minka, they're using him in a, way, in a, in a unique way, in and around the line of scrimmage too high they're doing a lot of different stuff but he didn't play as clean of a game as the hype and um just wanted to point that out i, I think that's it's a challenging role though it's a more yeah. challenging role and that's a factor in this whole thing but i'm interested to see how the steelers attack and then don't forget alex leatherwood he struggled as badly as the ravens tackles as a he got rookie. schooled by Justin Houston in particular early in that game and he he's was got, just taking him to he's got tj watt i mean it, that yeah. might be enough reason for the steelers like, my question is, do the Steelers stop blitzing because they just love Melvin Ingram, who played like I think crazy. So. They like, love Melvin would, Ingram I, and Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt. And Cam, Cameron Hayward had twice as many pressures as any other interior defensive lineman on Sunday as well. I think the Steelers in week one looked at that game and said, look, in an ideal world, we want to flood coverage and let Josh Allen try and find spaces that aren't yeah. there. And But we also know that we get the most pressure of any team in the NFL, which is also good. Now, in, in, which one do you do? If it's an either-or situation, that I think is an open question. But very quickly in that game, they realize this isn't an either-or thing. We can do both. Right. We can flood the coverage, and with just four, we can pressure him for like half the time. So why would you do anything else? Like This is an underrated, sneaky thing about this Pittsburgh defensive line. We're constantly crapping on Bud Dupree, right? F forget Bud for a moment, except to say that Melvin Ingram has always been a dramatically better pass rusher than Bud Dupree. The only question mark about Ingram is can he be on the field for any extended yeah, period of time? The guy's been injured a lot. If he's there, they are way better with him than they were with Bud Dupree. And they were already the best defensive front in the NFL and with they, Bud there. And they're playing like it, saying, I trust you guys. So Go now get him with got, four. Last year, they were one of the most blitz-happy teams in the NFL because it made sure that everybody was one-on-one -on -one blocked, right? And that way... One or, one or two of them is going to win. Now they don't even need to do that because you've got TJ Watt, who can definitely win one-on-one -on -one blocks. Melvin, who's winning one-on-one -on -one blocks easily. The two interior guys, like the front four can all win, and it doesn't matter if one of them is double teamed. Who do you like in this one? Pittsburgh by five and a half. Is that too much for a Pittsburgh offense? By the way, Big Ben, one of the lowest graded, second lowest graded quarterbacks. He had a bad fumble in the pocket, a negated interception that was still bad. Um, he did make some nice downfield throws. You mentioned 2015 Manning. Like this, I'm describing 2015 Manning. There was some ugly, there was some bad, but he'd still float one in into tight coverage and get it there. I mean, that was Ben on Sunday. There's enough, but is it enough to, to beat the Raiders by five and a half here? This feels like quite an overreaction line, 
that, oh, we screwed it up in week one. The Steelers are actually really good. Let's swing it all the way back the other way. Um, that offensive line against the Raiders' pass rush could be an issue and the kind of, but the kind Raiders of issue played, that changes the game a bit. Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you, but Raiders played overtime Monday night too. That's a factor. A That's not bit. good. Yeah, Longer and game. To, and have to travel. And like, have to travel. Uh, I'm going to take the Raiders though. I'm, I'm buying into their defense being better. I thought they were, you know, Casey Hayward was a nice addition for that. I'm, I'm, I'm higher on the Raiders defense than I, I was a week ago. I think Pittsburgh win, but I like the Raiders to cover. I'm going to agree with both of those. Houston Texans at the Cleveland Browns. There is no overreaction here. The Browns are favored by 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Over the Houston Texans who just the joint destroyed. joint Vegas line of the week. They destroyed the Jaguars. So Vegas is assuming Baker's not going to throw two passes directly to Vernon Hargraves. Yeah. This week. Probably a fair assumption. Uh, Baker's taking a lot of heat for the end of the game interception. I thought he played a really good game up until that point. And yeah. we mentioned a lot that the, the, the Browns just did a lot of smart things as far as there's, how they attack the Chiefs. There's something annoying about those plays. Like when you, in, if you just looked at that play in isolation and didn't have any idea of the circumstances, you would kind of absolve Baker from it almost entirely. You're like, he's trying to throw it away. A guy grabs hold of that one leg that's sort of generating the force to do that. And when that leg gets taken away, like you just can't, it, the ball doesn't go where it's supposed to, right? So it drops short, it's an interception, it's done. You're like, okay, that's just unlucky, essentially. But when you factor in the situation, you're like, the best quarterbacks in the NFL don't do that. They just don't. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know how something changes where they just don't put themselves in that situation. They don't allow that to happen, but it just doesn't happen. You don't find Tom Brady making that play. And there's something to that. Like, that is a thing that Baker Mayfield needs to figure out if he's going to take that step that he gets the Josh Allen contract and the $45 million a year and the Browns embrace him as the truth, the way, and the light within this franchise. It's just, like I say, it's very difficult to sort of parse that out and say, I can abstract terms, that was just unlucky, but damn it. Why, why'd but you do that? That's mo But that's <laughs> most quarterbacks around the NFL. That That is always what separates the best. And as much as we like to separate the quarterback from scheme and all that stuff and say, well, this guy was elevated because of the scheme or his playmakers or whatever it is, the quarterback is the one position where you dictate your situation, right? So in a two-minute drill, um, you sent me a note the other night when Brady's running the two-minute drill and they pick up eight or nine on the first snap and was like – that's standard, right? I and mean, that's just what Brady and Manning, and that's just what those guys do, right? They know to get eight here and seven there and not to press it until they need to and just understand the game. And that's why I do think that the QB wins crowd, we're supposed to be against it because we grade every play and throw and there's more to just the quarterback. But I do think the quarterback is, I mean, we know the quarterback's still the biggest driver, but a part of that is situational football and knowing uh, your internal clock, when to throw it away a little bit sooner. All that stuff just kind of comes together. I, here's the thing with Cleveland. OBJ's out again. Yep. Um, Anthony Schwartz going to be in there again with his 4-2 speed. They had a plan for him. Jarvis Landry, the tight ends. Love what the Browns are doing offensively. I think underrated last week is their defense played a pretty good game. I yep. mean, it's really – it's a 75-yarder freak play from Mahomes to Tyreek and – a couple other and, and then they the punts that put them into a rough situation in the second half the defense played pretty well um so i think that's going to be a factor here the browns defense is going to look good against tyrod and the texans who ran the ball like crazy and tyrod made some spectacular plays of his own he looks really good i mean that's 
one thing to watch homecoming for Tyrod, that Brown starter a couple of years ago. Revenge uh, game. Tyrod yeah. Revenge. So, I mean, I, I'm curious to see if he can be good again in a, in a second week. That will be interesting. The biggest thing, though, is like this is a game where obviously Vegas says the Browns are way better. Like they should, this should not even be a conversation. Um, can the Browns just roll up? and dominate a team they're supposed to dispatch without thinking about it. Like that, I think, is one of those That's things a fair question, yeah. that separates true contenders from teams that have the potential to do that but don't every year. The Browns are supposed to be up there with the Bucks, with the Chiefs. Everybody came out of that week one game against the Chiefs, and even though they lost, Cleveland, I think, showed that, hey, we're not going away. They were, like, we they were up 22 to 10 at the half. Right. And everything was clicking offensively, yeah. right? All the playmakers were involved. They're running zone. They're running gap. They're running all over the Chiefs. Everything's good. It was a Nick Chubb fumble and then the punter situation. Yes. And then Baker throws the ball. I mean, it was it was literally three plays that completely changed the perception of that game. But the Browns' offensive line was as dominant as we expected. Yeah. Everything that we expected from the Browns was probably at like the high end of good. Yeah. So other they, than a handful of plays. So I, they, I, I like the Browns here. They lost, but you're coming out of that game saying they're probably going to meet again in the playoffs. And if they do, Kansas City's not taking it lightly. Like, Cleveland is a scary team this year. But these are the games where that shows up. It's like it's one thing to run the Chiefs close and scare them. But in order to get to the AFC Championship game, you've got to stomp teams like the Texans and not drop those games. Like, you have to go out there and beat up a team where you're 12.5-point favorites against them, even though they showed some life in week one and maybe surprise people and maybe will be a better team than people than we expect them to be. So I want to see if Cleveland can go out there and just wreck Houston. Um, Houston might be better than we thought, though. Sure. If Ty, you know Tyrod playing a solid game, they they played. Um, it's Lovey Smith. You know, played a lot of zone cover two. It's the, you know Lovey loves his his Tampa two coverages and all that. And Houston played a pretty solid game defensively and you know took advantage of Jacksonville mistakes. Um, I think Cleveland though, twelve and a half is a lot of points. And yet. 68% of the money is still coming in on Cleveland. Really? Yep. Go check out PFF Greenline, all part of your PFF Elite package. You get all this information and our uh, suggested picks based off all this great PFF data. Um, I don't know. I'm trying not to cheat. I don't want to give away the Greenline stuff. This show's all about our intuition here. I'm going to go Cleveland, believe it or not, at 12 and a half. You're taking the points? Yeah. You're thinking Cleveland covers a 12 and a half point spread? I think they win, but... I need I one more week to buy into the... Uh, Texans I think insurgents. they win. I think they probably win comfortably, but God, 12 and a half is a lot. Yeah. The spread is factoring in all these things. I, I like to say, well, Cleveland was on the road playing the Chiefs and the Texans were at home playing the Jaguars. Like the spread is factoring all that in and saying, yeah, 12 and a half. That's fair. All right, I'll take the Browns. All right, New Orleans at Carolina. The Saints are favored by three and a half here against the Panthers. Saints maybe the most dominant all-around outing for any team last week. Can they do that again? Yeah, um, obviously, anytime you get to see Jameis Winston in this offense, that's something to watch. The thing I'm really interested, though, is Derek Brown for the Carolina Panthers' interior defensive line going up against New Orleans' interior on the offensive line, which is quietly not that good. Like, the Saints have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They have arguably the best tackle tandem in the NFL. Um, Ryan Ramchek at right tackle, Teron Armstead at left tackle. That interior is kind of creaky. Like... There's a bunch of people out there for reasons I've never quite understood that think Andrus Pete is a really good guard, despite constant reminders that he isn't. Um, Cesar Ruiz played a lot last year as a first-round pick, was never really expected to, I don't think. And 
Eric McCoy's banged up too, right? Yeah. So Ruiz's struggles was last year was sort of put down to that, right? It was like, hey, he wasn't really supposed to be starting. And if he plays well, it's a bonus. And he didn't play well. Didn't open the season well either. So all of a sudden, you've got three guys in the interior that, that aren't really great. And they go up against Derek Brown, who wrecked the Jets' interior offensive line last week. Like, there's a play where Derek Brown split two different linemen and then just drove his way. Like, had a five-yard run-up to bury poor old Zach Wilson. Yeah. Like, Zach Wilson's a fairly small, frail-looking quarterback at the best of times. Derek Brown is a monster of a human being. When that guy has, like, a five-yard run-up to, you know, when you see the, like, the end of a drill and there's a tackling dummy there. And like the end of the drill is like a five yard sprint. Dummy just, just gets flattened. just destroy it. Yeah, that was Zach Wilson last last week to to Brown. That's usually Marcus Davenport type stuff. He used to sack people in college, and he was so big he just engulf yeah. the poor little you know Sun Belt quarterback. <laughs> but that Marcus Davenport missing this game almost uh, almost assuredly the Saints are banged up. Davenport's missing it. Marshawn Lattimore is doubtful, almost certainly missing it. Eric McCoy doubtful, missing it at center. So as dominant as the Saints were in Week One, yep. Um, we're going to see Ruiz probably play center um, this week. So there's definitely some questions for the Saints. And then, But what you mentioned is the Panthers' fourth-worst pass-blocking grade last week. So a lot of positives coming out of Carolina and uh, Sam Darnold. And they did a really nice job adding Christian, you know, using, as always, Christian McCaffrey in the passing game and creating mismatches. I love that. They did a good job. But it was with the fourth-worst pass-blocking grade last week. So the Panthers' offensive line certainly could be an issue, as you said here. Yeah. Um, I think that that could be a big issue in this game. I, I still don't love the Panthers generally, but I think because of the the injuries and the weaknesses that New Orleans has, this is kind of sneaky in their favor. Is and Jameis can he play? I mean, it was mistake free football. I mean, he just was so efficient. Didn't have to do much because they ran the ball so well. But mistake free football from a guy who's normally top five and negatively graded plays. Yeah, and my. The interesting question is, like, how long does Jameis have to play like that before it becomes, hey, LASIK and Sean Payton did fix him? Could be LASIK and Payton. Um, are you starting to – no. That we're, like, one week away from people trying to, like, trash Drew Brees' legacy, right? When it's like, oh, you lose Brees and it doesn't matter. The Saints keep winning and they're still as efficient and the stats are great and they move the ball and they've got no playmakers, but it doesn't matter and it's all Sean Payton. Yeah, I mean, I, it, we are, but – it's this, this is the thing with the start of every new season, right? When there's a new trend, it's like how long does it take before you decide it's true? Like the Josh Allen thing last year. How many games of elite Josh Allen do you need before you decide, you know what, this is for real. He isn't the same guy anymore. As a Jameis believer, I'm, I'm already in. 89.5 grade, that's who he is. All right. That is who he is. Oh, man, I'm going to be so sad if this is the year he does put it all together and you were right. Just took you how many years now? Six, seven? You just throw Villanueva back in my face. Oh, that's true. I'll take the Saints. Getting... Uh, Saints going to cover the three and a half, too. I'm going to take the Panthers. I'm overreacting to the Saints' domination last week. I'm going to take I? the Panthers to win outright. Am I looking at the... Oh, that's next week's games. Where's the Saints? This thing updated yet? No, it's still three and a half. You're taking the... You're taking what? Panthers to win outright. You're supposed to hate the Panthers. I do hate the Panthers. I just think that they match up quite well in this game. You're supposed to hate the Panthers. The, the people want Panthers hate from you. That's that offensive line is still terrible. I don't right, like it. How about this game? The Rams at the Colts. Rams favored by three and a half. Uh, a dominant outing for the Rams on Sunday Night Football. The Colts, uh, disappointing week one against the Seattle Seahawks. So they get to play the NFC West once again. And uh, what are you looking for in this one? Um, the Rams and the Chargers are number one and two 
And obviously this is Brandon Staley's current team and Brandon Staley's old team, which is trying to keep the same defense. They were one and two in week one in disguise looks, right? Rolling middle of the field, opens, closed, safeties moving around, that kind of thing. Um, so they're going to cause, they're going to give Carson Wentz a lot of looks that could be problematic. Now Wentz over the last, his, th- uh, his two years prior or post MVP level Wentz and prior to train wreck Carson Wentz like the two most reasonable years I think to sort of get a gauge of where he actually is had a PFF grade of 82 when the when it wasn't disguised and 66 when it was so there's a big difference between when you give Carson Wentz the picture that he expects to see and when you give him a picture that he is surprised by Um, I'm curious to see if that holds against a really good defense and if you do get this sort of Wentz that just doesn't function as well that's a really good stat man I mean just and it's simple it's just safety rotation and uh somebody had a great there they there's a screenshot of Peyton from the show and he's holding two fists and everybody's like well that's the universal that's that's safety rotation that's how coaches do you get the, the two fists so you start with two high and you roll to one and Staley and those guys do it extremely well um definitely want to see Stafford again um, I, I, I keep making the statement that the way you would describe the Colts defense over the last couple of years is don't get, they keep the ball in front of them. Don't give up a lot of big plays. That was not the case on <laughs> Sunday, right? I mean, it was the, the Seahawks played a really good game as far as taking the underneath stuff and all, but when Russ had opportunities down the field, they took them and they were, and they paid off the Rams. If they have those opportunities, they, that's what they had on Sunday night against the Bears. They took advantage of them. The Colts got by for a few years with like not good corners because of that defense. Right. But at some point, what you're doing isn't actually that complicated, and you kind of need defenders to be good. Like now, I mean, Rocky Asin at corner is a problem. Like he's just not good. Um, they don't have right now Xavier Rhodes playing out of his mind, you know, in a bounce back year the way he did last season. So. Like they just don't match up well with a team that has good receivers. Now this game has a chance to be one of the most epic one-on-one battles in the NFL in ten years. Okay, ever. What do you got? Aaron Donald versus Quentin Nelson. Nice. We get to see Aaron Donald, the very best interior defensive lineman, against Quentin Nelson, probably the best guard. Just watch those guys the entire game. That's what we'll watch. We'll see if it has an impact. I mean, any Aaron Donald impacts winning. We talked about the gravity factor and all that. Um, once the Bears ha- were in must-pass situations on Sunday night, like he was in the backfield every single time. Yeah. Over and over Which, and over. By again. the way, was the point I was making about why you don't necessarily want to put Justin Fields out there. Right. So Aaron Donald versus Quentin Nelson. It's going to be an epic battle. I'll be keeping an eye on that one. So another game I'm watching the trenches, but in particular when those guys are matched up against each other on the interior. Where are you going with this game? Rams by three and a half. On the road. So another three and a half, another road favorite buying into this Rams hype after one week. Uh, I'm not buying into the hype, but I think, I don't think it matters. Like, I think the Rams are better than the Colts by a good enough degree that even hype or no hype, they're going to roll this week and win. I'll take the Rams against this defense, though. We might see that that bad Wentz that you were talking about. Denver Broncos at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Broncos are favored by six on the road against the Jags. I don't know if this is meaning. Again, Vegas thinks they're a nine-point better team. Better I wonder, by nine points. We should have asked Eric this yesterday. But if home how field much, is still being factored in. Yeah, or how much. Feel, I mean, all the stats say that home field advantage is less than it used to be and has been moving in that direction for a while, COVID or no COVID. 
I wonder, has the Vegas line adjusted to reflect that, or are they still giving it the sort of three-point deal? Um, in this game, this is a battle of, here's what happened last week. When we talked about Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew, Drew Locke, I, my answer to why they picked Bridgewater, our discussion, Drew Locke, volatile, high-end, Teddy Bridgewater, generally better at just throw a catchable pass to these open receivers. Yeah. Well, that's what happened in week one. Teddy Bridgewater, the lowest percentage of uncatchable passes. On the other end of the spectrum, it was Trevor Lawrence had the highest percentage of uncatchable passes among quarterbacks. Lawrence, man, an enigma in week one because, again, you see two or three throws a game that are absolutely special. But the thing that hurt him at Clemson is he had to, you know, quick drops and when he had to speed up, hit a quick out. You know, just He was missing easy throws last week. He's got to clean that up. But Bridgewater was the opposite. Played an efficient game got the ball where it needed to go and was one of the better quarterbacks of the week last week. He looked really good. And there's also that thing we talked about yesterday with Eric about people like Teddy Bridgewater, like people want to play for him. And, you know, you saw that clip of Von Miller on the sideline saying, you know, those little pep talks, the things that Teddy's doing, that makes a difference to the defense. It makes a difference to everybody. So I think the team plays for Bridgewater more than they would play for Locke, even if I would have given Locke the job going into it. The question is, you know, how much was last week a reflection of what Teddy can actually do and how much of that was like the best you're going to see from Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, that's not really sustainable necessarily. Big thing this week, no Jerry Judy. He goes down with what looked like a horror injury, ended up being just, quote unquote, a high ankle sprain. It's going to keep him out for a while. So your boy, Tim Patrick, is going to get some work, but yeah. also KJ Hamler is probably going to be a bigger part of this offense as well. He's explosive, man. He's so legit. That's going to be fun to watch. Like they still have receivers and weapons everywhere it's just you're going to be without judy i'm going to call i'm going to take the jags in this one six points is a lot for me um i think there's a there's a sour taste for the jags after last week i i think i i don't know how long we're going to hold i'm going to hold on to this trevor lawrence andrew luck comparison but again luck throw for throw had some issues early in his career but the field flipping, the Justin Herbert thing I kept saying last week, Lawrence can create these chunk plays. And I think he'll do enough of that this week against Denver. Keep an eye on the Broncos, like Vaughn Miller being back. Yeah. And he was the one who absolutely popped Solder and against these Jaguars tackles. Vaughn Miller coming off the edge. Keep an eye against Juwan Taylor. Uh, I definitely like Denver to win. I, I ask her, Denver cover as well. Ooh, Denver wins and covers the six. I'll take uh, Denver to win, Jacksonville to cover in this one. Could be 2-0 Denver. Remember, everybody in the West won in week one. Uh, New England Patriots at the New York Jets. How about this? Zach Wilson versus Mac Jones, the two rookies going head-to-head. -head. We've got the Patriots favored by six on the road against the Jets. What are you looking for here? I mean, that's that's it, right? That's the rookie, it. The yeah. rookie quarterbacks, right? Um, Zach Wilson's first and second half splits were completely drastic, different, and um, – so much more comfortable in the second half. Wasn't throwing the ball to linebackers. Didn't fumble in the pocket. Mac Jones, as we mentioned on the original show, uh, re review show, one you know blip early in the game, and then just picking the Dolphins apart on, with the underneath stuff. They did stall in the red zone though. Like he did miss a couple when he needed to in the red zone. So um, do you buy into the Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks stat? They're like oh in a million, and yeah, stats I mean, are terrible in the whole deal. Look, Belichick has always been one of the best game planners in the NFL and he knows how to cause a young quarterback problems like he knows what's difficult to defend and what is what the quarterback what a quarterback new to the NFL is going to take the longest to handle so I think there's absolutely something to the idea that he makes life more difficult 
on a rookie quarterback than more or less any coach out there. So yeah, like Zach Wilson's probably not going to have a great game. I'm really intrigued to see if Mac Jones can just have a clean game start to finish. Like go out there, don't have the crazy blip where you try and Aaron Brooks it, just play well, start to finish. If he does, I mean, it's getting very difficult to not be extremely impressed by Mac Jones, even if people are whinging about, you know, his box score number last year. You mentioned last on, the, week. on the daily today, the Jets corners, they, they weren't spectacular, but because I came in with such low expectations, they were solid. Yeah. But the Panthers did a great job of attacking their linebackers. And that's what the Patriots did against the Dolphins. I think it's going to be another one of those. The underneath stuff is there for the Patriots. Play a patient game, move the ball. Um, see if they can run against a pretty good defensive front. I'm a little worried about the Jets' old line. Makai Becton out. George Fant moves from right tackle to left tackle. And uh, Patriots have a deep group of pass rushers. So I think that's a matchup to watch. I think the, the Patriots' defense ends up being too much for the Jets here. Uh, but So I like the Pats to win. Six feels like a lot, though, in New York. Yep, same. Patriots playing a lot of close games, too, with the, Patriots with the, the post-Tom Brady era here. Jets cover. All right, so New York Jets to cover, Patriots to win. Uh, Tennessee Titans at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by five and a half at home. Now, that doesn't feel like a – would this feel like a massive number in week one? I bet in week one when people felt better about the Titans, it would probably be like two or three, right? Yeah. Pretty even teams. They, so, they, so there's yeah. an adjustment here after Seattle looked good in week one and Tennessee looked terrible. These teams on paper heading into the season, I think, would have probably been in about the same place. And the Titans looked terrible week one, whereas Seattle looked pretty good. Who do you like? Or what are you looking? What are you looking for in this one? Tennessee and Seattle. I want to see if Tennessee's offense looks as bad as it did Week One. I mean, that was atrocious. They in PFF's ELO rankings, they have a better offense than Seattle. They're five and six. Now that obviously still has a huge amount of holdover from last year and what we expect the Titans' offense to do. If they come out and lay an egg again, and none of their offensive superstars fire, they're in trouble because like this whole offense was built on four guys it's built on aj brown uh, julio jones ryan Tannehill, and derrick henry and if like multiple of those four don't fire you don't have anything because the entire thing is hinging around on those guys so week one nothing like byron uh, murphy shut down julio jones from the majority of the game i mean it's no Corey davis is the thing right um aj brown took until very late to get anything going uh like Derrick Henry had like nine yards in the first half or something. They they did not get anything going. The dudes, as you yeah. refer to them as, weren't there. It feels like Henry always – I mean, he always starts slow. And the Titans scored 16 points in their opener last year against the Broncos. And then before you know it, they figured it out and were really efficient. There was definitely something off between Tannehill and Julio Jones. They were off. Um, so Tennessee's got to get back. I mean, they made Tannehill – into an efficient quarterback by running play action and doing favorable things. I know we talked about that as well. They they did not do that here in uh, in week one. So I, I think Tennessee will look better. Tannehill wasn't a disaster, but the whole thing was just was just poor. Had a fumble on a on one of those play actions. The Cardinals pass rush got after him. Seattle, I want to see their offense against a different scheme. You know, Tennessee's going to play a lot more man coverage. Uh, they they played the zone heavy. Colts last week I thought they did a really nice job and again it was they had different answers they were throwing underneath to, to backs and they they hit Gerald Everett on a you know underneath route for a touchdown they have different answers this week sorry this year uh trickeration in the backfield unique run variety of run concepts 
want to see Seattle's offense if they can keep humming. But it's still the it's still the same offense. That's DK and Lockett creating big plays. But I just think the rest of the plays when they're working underneath in the run game is just going to be more efficient for the Seahawks this year. I think they're going to be able to work this week because Titans have no kind of pass rush. Like Russell Wilson's not going to be under pressure. Or the pressure he's going to be under, he's going to invite himself, which is where he lives anyway. So Seattle's issues were on the interior mostly last week from a pass rushing standpoint. And again, the Titans... Second worst pass rushing grade, I believe, in the week uh, against the Cardinals. Caleb Farley only played eight snaps in week one. I just, if if he's out there and healthy and good, I want to see him and DK Metcalf match up. And I think they all came like at the end of the game when yeah. they had the backups out there. It just might be a week where you take that skill set and say, okay, go. Christian Fulton played really well. And yet I think I saw, um, I think I saw Mike Vrabel talking about how singling him out essentially as a guy who needs to play with more physicality and more aggression and blah blah it's like i he played pretty well like i'm not sure how much you want to be ragging on him to be more aggressive and physical but if that's the way he's going that would lean into a caleb farley rather than a fulton and on paper if they're if they're going to play matchups a farley versus metcalf and fulton I mean, that's just a hell of a matchup if that does happen i'm yeah intrigued i want to see that two dudes going at it dudes. uh seattle by five and a half where are you going here uh, I'll take Seattle to win and Tennessee to cover it. Because Seattle always plays crazy close games, right? Yeah. I think Seattle, oh man. Yeah, I think Tennessee's better than they showed, so I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to go with what you said. Seattle to win, Tennessee to cover. Yep. Five and a half's a lot. Uh, Detroit at Green Bay, Monday Night Football. Aaron Rodgers bounce back game. Green Bay by 11 and a half here against the Lions. They just lost by a million in their <laughs> 11 and a half point favorites here. Yeah. This would mean the Saints would be favored by 112 against the Lions. That's, sure. That's how that works, right? Uh-huh. Uh, 11 and a half on Monday Night Football. Do you want my Aaron Rodgers stat here? Yeah, hit it. Um, he's had three games with a sub 50 PFF grade since 2016. Okay. Um, uh, four games now. The fourth one was last week. In the three previous games, he came back the next week and had exactly four touchdowns and no interceptions in that next game. Hmm. Now, most of the next games, I think one was actually against Detroit. One was Houston. One was another team that wasn't that good. Um, he just happens to have bad games before he plays against uh, bad teams. The Lions. And he bounces yeah. back really well. So I, I expect four touchdowns, exactly four touchdowns and no interceptions from Rodgers here. Seems in fair. Game. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the corners he's going to be throwing against, that yeah. seems like a reasonable expectation. Uh, Owarie got pretty much destroyed. Um, Melifonwu is now going to have to be the starter because uh, Jeffrey Okuda went down with an Achilles, right? Was that what, that was what he injured? Yeah. So, I mean, Detroit's corners are, have a target just painted all over them. Rodgers to Devontae Adams, Rodgers to MVS, Rodgers to Alan Lazard. It's just bombs away. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it happened in week one changes the narrative. And Rodgers does have these games. Like, right. he, if there's one quarterback out there where you're not panicking after one stinker, it's Rodgers, right? Now, you said, uh, somebody corrected you and was like, well, Rodgers has never lost by more than 30. But you go back like a couple years ago, he lost by 28. Yeah, I mean, and 27. 30 was my and point. And 29. It was like games they had gets... games. But, but it, when it happens in week one, it's like, oh, it's Jeopardy's fault. It's the offseason. Now, I will say, if he goes out on Monday night and doesn't dominate this Lions defense, which he has historically, he's when he faces bad defenses, Rodgers eats. I mean, that's, he, he, the stats look good, generally. He plays well. If there are blips again, then I think you start to be a little concerned about the Packers. Yeah, I mean, I don't, 30 wasn't, you know, the point I was making. But, like, Mahomes has some ridiculous stat where he's never lost by, you know, multi, more than six points outside of the Super Bowl or something crazy like that. Right, Rogers, even in his worst games, they're still producing. Yeah, Rodgers has these games where he's 
relatively blown out. Now, maybe that's a double digit number. I don't, I haven't, like I said, I, when I said, when I made the point initially, I haven't checked this out with whatever. So maybe it's a, maybe the, the threshold is double digits. Maybe the threshold is two scores, whatever it is. It feels like Rodgers has more of these games. That, and I'm only comparing him to like the other greatest quarterbacks of all time. Right. right? To Peyton and Brady and Brees yeah. and the whole thing. My point essentially is that don't panic. Like Roger, this happens to Rodgers every now and again. For some reason, there are games where one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play just isn't at the races. And even he came out and said, it's one game. Like we move right. on, we're done. Fine. But now this is the game you need to see the bounce back. Right. And I think we will. I think the, the Packers will look better. I think the, the Lions offense, they're not going to drop back 70 times again with Jared Goff. Panay Sewell moved from the right side back to the left side. Looked good. Um, third most positively graded run blocks of any tackle in the NFL last week. So um, the Packers defense has as many questions to answer as well. They got run all over. Uh, gave up the most EPA per play. Uh, this Detroit offense could have a little bit of success here, I think, against the Packers D if they, I mean, especially if they play as badly as they did. Yep. Uh, so 11 and a half for the Packers here. I'm taking the Lions, keeping it close. Packers to win, Lions to cover. Even if Rodgers throws for four touchdowns and no interceptions. Oh, no. So I, gotta, I, I can't, can't have conflict both with, yeah. Uh, yeah, Green Bay's going to, Green Bay revenge game. Yeah, Green Bay wins and covers. It's our Monday Night Football battle. Jared Goff. More Jared Goff data points here in the Lions. He was all right. Prime time Goff. He had some good, some not so good. Well, he was really good right up until he went crazy. <laughs> the Lions were also in it that far because of onside kicks. And, and madness, yeah. Turnovers and the, and the whole thing. Minnesota Vikings at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals by three and a half in their home opener here. This is def this is one of those where it's like, oh, Minnesota's 0-1 on a, on a, coming off a road game and Arizona traveled to Tennessee and owns the Titans. Man. Three and a half, is that enough for the Cardinals here? Yeah, the Vikings could be in trouble. Um, their offense... I you'd say that. Like, the offense is okay. It's talented. Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, uh, Dalvin Cook. The line is still bad, but just schematically, it's not doing enough to really help everybody out and make sure everybody's being put in the best position to succeed. Their defense has got bodies back on the defensive line, but like... Rashad Breeland comes over to be a capable starting corner when they didn't really have any of those last year. That guy in his last two games has now been torched for one deep touchdown apiece. Now, okay, one was to Tyreek Hill. That'll happen. The other one was to Jamar Chase, who doesn't run like a 4-3. Um, is Breeland able to hold up against a lower level of competition? Remember, it's the Cardinals, so you can basically predict who he's going up against. It isn't New Hopkins. New Hopkins is going to be one-on-one -on -one with Patrick Peterson all day, which by the way, itself is an interesting matchup to watch. But like, can Breland hold up against a number two receiver or is he just cooked now? Um, because if he is, Minnesota has some major problems. And at the same time, you're like healthy scratch for a guy like Cameron Dancer, who was the only guy that showed any life last year. So I don't know, this Minnesota defense might just be like, it stayed too long at the party at this point. If you have, uh, if you go to pff.com, we have an amazing wide receiver cornerback matchup chart, which is exactly what you're saying here, right? When you have um, Minnesota going up against Arizona, you could see who's going to be matched up against each other the majority of the time. So A.J. Green and Bashad Breeland are projected to see each other 54 times. DeAndre Hopkins and Patrick Peterson projected to, see, to line up against each other 51 times. Um, we've got Hopkins with that advantage over Patrick Peterson pretty significantly. The Breeland-A.J. Green one is a lot closer yeah. just because Green has not performed well over the last couple of years. I mean, if Breland can't go, if Breland can't shut down A.J. Green, 
problems. Yeah, and the the matchup to watch though, Christian Kirk is the way they the Arizona moved him into the slot, and this is my thing to watch. Does Arizona continue to use these playmakers the way they have? Like they love to run slot fades, and they haven't really had a good explosive slot receiver to do that in Arizona. Now with Kirk moving inside, they created some big plays. Kyler Murray throws the fade and back shoulder extremely well. You keep Hopkins on one side. Rondell Moore's running the the trickeration stuff. Arizona, whether they move or not, very difficult to defend with these playmakers. Yeah. And you saw that in week one. And their the, defense was good. And, and that's the other factor. Chandler Jones had five sacks, seven total pressures. Uh, Minnesota's offensive line, mid-tier pass blocking grade in week one. Arizona's got the advantage there. And it was mid-tier with them getting the ball out quickly a lot. Right. Like, it was way worse than that, I think, when you factor in how little or how much help they got from the scheme overall in terms of just getting the ball quickly. I'm taking Arizona getting up big and and then Cousins with a couple uh, two or three second-half touchdowns, you know, sneaking back into it, but not enough. I get Arizona covering the three-and-a-half here. Yep, I think Arizona is actually going to be a way better team right now. If Arizona dominates this game, that's a big if. But if they come out of this 2-0 and looking good again, you buy in, and they started hot last year. But it's you, a repeat of last year. They they were six and three at one point last year. Looking beat like Seattle, they gave Seattle their first loss, right? On yeah, uh, Sunday beat, Night Football, beat a Forty Nine ers team on Week One that came out of the Super Bowl, you know, a play away essentially from beating the Chiefs. They they broke expectations with their first seven eight games. Um, maybe they'll do the same thing. Maybe this is a team that starts hot. Maybe that's like part of their profile is they're able to do well in the offseason be ready to go by the time week one rolls around the question this year is can they sustain it or does it drop off again right can you can you make the necessary adjustments is it just uh is it just a coincidence we shall see i'm taking i'm taking arizona i'm buying into the arizona hype though take them covering the three and a half where'd you go with it yeah uh, arizona covers wins fairly handily you're just a minnesota hater i just i mean there's there are things to like about the Vikings, but there's a lot to not like. That offensive line needs Christian Darasaw in the lineup ASAP, and it needs him to be good, um, which is no guarantee as a first-round offensive lineman. They need to figure out something on the back-end defense. Like, Breland's getting torched right now. They don't have... I mean, even if, they, even if both those guys worked out, your plan at corner has been to abandon the youth... The, was the, only, the only positive from last year is that at least you got a ton of young guys, a lot of experience, and in theory that should behoove them down the line because they've got a leg up on their development. Now you've dumped all those guys, put them on the sideline, and thrown Patrick Peterson and Brashad Breland out there. Like, what is that achieving? I don't know. We'll see. Wasn't great. <laughs> Wasn't great in week one. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals at the Chicago Bears. It's the Andy Dalton revenge game here. The Dalton revenge game. Right? Sure. I mean, it's also Justin Fields' watch. Are they just going to give Dalton this game and then it's Fields' time? Yeah, no. This is You either put him in now or you're not putting him in until, I think, week four and then God knows when after that. Stop looking at who they're playing. No. If you're afraid of your quarterback playing NFL players, then you got bigger issues. Yeah, which is why he's on the sideline. Like, th- this isn't some masochistic, you know, self-flagellation thing where they're like, oh, we must – repent our sins of the previous years they're not putting justin fields out there because they don't believe justin fields is capable of protecting himself right now and they might be right i don't know they might be wrong they might be right that's what they believe so the fact that who they're facing is entirely relevant when he gets on the field you said andy dalton's performance would dictate things he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last week yeah is it time 
I think it's cl- I think it's closer. Look, if, if it was Andy me, Dalton is a factor, I think it's closer. If it was me, I would start Justin Fields this week. Yeah, I would not have put him out there against the Rams in Week One. I think he would have been murdered. This week is a much more favorable matchup, and you will at least you'll answer whether you were right or not. Right? The problem I do have some sympathy with the idea of look, people want to rewrite the history with the Patrick Mahomes thing. You're like, well, Patrick Mahomes may have been a Hall of Famer from day one if you put him out week one, right? You never know. I, I, you at least answer that question, right? If you put Justin Fields out week two, you now know where he is. Now, maybe where he is would back up, oh, whoops, we shouldn't have put him out there. This is a mistake. But if it doesn't, now you've got the next 15 games to have a better quarterback out there. Is it, is it too idealistic for me to assume that there's something off the field when you're evaluating Justin Fields and it's it's in the meeting room or whatever it is. It's a little bit of practice reps, whatever it is. And it's just when he's ready, he's ready. However you define that. If if Why can't a team have a plan and say, we need X amount of mastery of the playbook. And you're testing him on this however you're testing him, right? Are you ready? Are you ready for these blitz looks? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for that? And, you're te- and when he's ready, he's ready. I mean, is it too idealistic for me to think I- with all these rookie quarterbacks? Because I've said the same thing about Goff when he came out in 2016. Said the same thing about all of them. The most important thing for this organization is that guy's development. It's not winning weeks two, three, four. It's not winning this week against the Bengals. To me, what you need the question you need an answer to is what happens if you have to bench Justin Fields after you put him in? Do, is that a total and unmitigated disaster? Like, does that get everyone fired? Does that get does that lose you the locker room? Because, but that assumes that he's that uh, far behind or that bad yeah, compared to like Mac Jones. It doesn't like, assume the same it. thing should happen. Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. It doesn't assume it. It just says this is the worst thing that could happen. Well, two. There's two terrible things that could happen if you put him in. If you put him out there when he's not ready. One, your worst fears are realized, and he gets himself hurt because he screws up a protection or holds onto the ball too long or wanders his way into a sack from a from a Miles Garrett or whatever and just gets broken. Right. That would be catastrophic. Two. He's bad enough at that stuff that like he just starts he can't function at that level. Like he's getting every play. It looks like Lamar Jackson against the Raiders on Monday night, right? He's under pressure half the time. He's got to run around. He's got yeah, to, you don't want him leaning into that right. style of play. So like those are the two worst case scenarios, right? And if the second one is true, you probably want to sit him down again because you're like, okay, we gave you the shot. You aren't ready for this. You need to be back on the bench. So what happens if that if that's the case? If you put they, him they out would, week two, he, he would just work. He would just work through it. He would, would take a work through but, it. But but I'm saying like, can you get away with that if you're naggy? Can you get away with like you're already taking a world of crap from everybody on the outside, hurling grenades on you for not even putting him out there? If you put him out there and then have to pull him back, is that just like your tenure's done? Like, They're not going to pull. They wouldn't pull him back. And but that's worse. Like what you're putting describing, him back at that point would be better. But what you're describing is is already a fail a failure of of Ryan Pace saying uh, in Matt Nagy really if it's like sorry we created such a bad offensive line situation we just can't play our rookie quarterback we've created such a bad situation know, for our rookie quarterback that we just can't put him out there right now see you next year I don't think that's true we'll spend the offseason fixing it. How much of it is the fact that the offensive line is terrible and how much of it is that Justin Fields is currently not good at this stuff and the two of them together form Perhaps. a terrible combination? Perhaps. And my point is... But if they had a better line, but my point they would is, feel better about Of that. course. But my point is the only way of knowing where that falls is by playing him. 
like you can get an idea and say, all right, he's not ready. We're not playing him. But ultimately, like when he plays, he looks good. You don't know right now that he isn't capable of doing that until you put him out there. So at some point, you're going to have to like suck it up and roll the dice. My, my point is simply like, can you pull it back once you've made that decision? Like, is that reversible? Because if it is, then screw it. Throw him out there week two and see what happens. If it isn't, if like once you've committed to fields, you're in. Yeah, you commit and you're in. Then you might have to wait a while because they run a pretty murderer's row, pretty nasty gauntlet of like elite pass rushers. Bengals on the other side, run heavy attack in week one against the Vikings. Um, do want to see them open it up a little bit more with Burrow. He had, you know, some good, some bad. Uh, I think I said the the luckiest pass of the week that was thrown right to a slot corner that caught, uh, got caught. He missed a touchdown, but he had the nice deep ball, threw a nice deep out, had some had some good stuff in there. Yep. Um, but he was also under a lot of pressure. You got Khalil Mack on the other side, so pressure watch still this week with uh, with Joe Burrow. But uh, I like I like Burrow on the road here. I like him on the road making plays. I'm assuming Dalton plays the majority of the game, which makes me think it's the Bengals. This could be the week, though. Fields comes in in relief. I mean, when it happens, it's going to be Fields comes in in relief and goes, you know, like eight for eight for 15 with two touchdowns. Yeah. And it's like, it's a little rough. It's a little rough. And there's two spectacular touchdowns in there. And then it becomes Fields team. This could be the Baker game when he came in, you know, halftime against the Jets. And if it's not... I will predict it every week for the rest of the season <laughs> until it happens. This is the week Justin Fields comes in and sparks the Bears with two touchdowns, but it's not enough against the hometown Cincinnati Bengals who moved to 2-0 with a win and a cover okay. as two-and-a-half-point underdogs at Chicago. Uh, I All right, I like that. I'm going to say Fields comes in, rescues this, and the Bears not only cover but win. Okay. Fields They're going to be down by 10 points. Dalton's going to be playing like crap. Fields comes in, saves it. I just need the legend to grow. The legend of Justin Fields to grow more and more. Uh, let's wrap it up. This is it, right? Last game? Yep. Falcons at the Bucks. Bucks by 12 and a half. Yeah. And uh, Falcons coming off a demoralizing defeat. 12 and a half is not enough. <laughs> Feels low. Uh, let's not forget. Now, that these two teams played uh, two of the last three weeks of last season. In Atlanta last year, the Falcons were up 17 nothing, I believe, at the half. And then... That was when Brady went on that ridiculous run where he threw like an NFL record yardage in the in four straight quarters or whatever it was. Yep. Um, and he carried that over into their week 17 matchup. Um, the Bucks are also going for the third time in history uh, winning every game with more than 30 points. The only other two times that happened, 07 Patriots, 2010 Patriots. So Brady's been at the helm of teams scoring a lot of points and winning a lot of games historically. Wait, what? What is that they're so going for? An eight-game winning streak while scoring eight at least... eight-game winning streak. An eight-game winning streak while scoring... Right. Uh, sorry, it's a nine-game winning streak while scoring at least 30 points in okay. every game. And Brady's the only quarterback to lead teams to do that in the past. That They would do that if they score 30-plus here in this game, which I expect. Tampa Bay, tough to cover. Looked sharp in week one. Um, the only thing that kept it close was, was turnovers. Yeah, using PFF's ELO rankings, which is in green line, this is the number one offense in the NFL against the number 30 defense in the NFL. Um, and that number 30 number might be soft based off what we saw in week one. This could be an absolute beatdown. Yeah, and so offensively for the Falcons, I made the point last week, which was completely wrong, that if, you know, when Matt Ryan has success, when you face a zone-heavy attack and he can just, you know, pick you apart and make good decision after good decision, it didn't work at all last week. 
Um, but the Falcons weren't, they weren't aggressive at all. Uh, he had one of the lowest average depths of target last week, which again, is, it's when you're facing zone, but they weren't getting anything going against the Eagles. The pass rush got to them up front in Atlanta. Pass, pass blocking was horrible. Jalen Mayfield got owned. That's going to be potentially a mess against Vita Vea and Dominican Sue. Mm -hmm. um, there's just mismatches everywhere in this game. There's not a lot to like from a Falcons perspective. And this is another one where even though the line is 12 and a half, all the money is still coming in on Tampa Bay. Like this, there's, there's nothing to like for the Falcons. Nothing. This, although, if you're looking for, this is one of those games, right? Every year in the NFL, there's a game where there is no reason that one team is even in it. Nothing. No reason. And somehow they end up. It's always Atlanta. Yeah. When Atlanta frequently, beat, the dead whale. Remember when they owned the, the, dead, the famous dead whale game when yeah. they owned the Saints in 2019? I, even knowing that that happens every year, I can't see a scenario where this game is that game. But it's a division game, I guess. Matt Ryan is still Matt Ryan, maybe. But no, they're going to get killed. Um, need more Kyle Pitts from Atlanta. Yeah. Only four catches last week. Need more Kyle Pitts. Um, as far as our matchup chart goes, you're going to see a lot of Chris Godwin versus Isaiah Oliver, Mike Evans versus Fabian Moreau, Antonio Brown versus AJ Terrell. I mean, all of these things, it, the Bucs are just so loaded. They all favor the Bucs here. Uh, Mike Evans wasn't as big of a part of the offense. I feel like they just pick their spots when they want to get him involved. So just keep an eye on Mike Evans running up the seam a couple times and getting him involved early here. I think the Bucs are just too powerful, and I think the 12.5 does feel low. I agree. So Bucs win win by a lot here at home against the Falcons yep Bucks are one of the few teams that get to start at home twice by the way usually flip which means you're gonna have a lot more road games you know get the two home games uh out of the way early on for the defending Super Bowl champs all right that's it previewed every week two game appreciate everybody for tuning in we'll be back here again Monday morning reviewing all of the week two games if you didn't hear Dr. Eric Eager great show yesterday filling in for me while we were Having some issues, the Palazzolo mm. home. But we are back better than ever. Uh, PFF.com, PFF Elite, and PFF Edge. I misspoke to somebody on Twitter, and I apologize. When you do get PFF Edge, you do get access to the grades. So when you sign up for Edge, the grades are there. They're woven into the product. If you want the full grades and stats and everything, the facet grades, and um, that's all of our premium stats, and that's a part of the Elite package. So Edge gets you a, a snippet of the grades. Elite gives you... You know, the everything, all the stats and grades, plus green line and plus all of our best fantasy tools. So sorry about that. I'll never be wrong again, I promise. Oh, okay. All right. That'll help. And we'll do the Josh Allen thing on Monday morning. Yes. Don't forget to subscribe to the daily. Oh, let me give away let me give away a free edge subscription. Oh, you can do that right now. Yeah, I had somebody. Okay. Let's see. Let me find it. Talk. I talk. I wasn't prepared to talk. I'm, I'm not I'm here not, it is okay. jeremy mckinley you win sent us a screenshot of the pff daily subscription and the pff nfl podcast we appreciate that so jeremy mckinley will send you an email you get a free pff edge you do that you send at uh, nfl podcast at pff.com send a screenshot that you subscribe to both shows and you'll be in the running not everybody gets it but we get to pick one every now and again so jeremy mckinley you win all right guys thanks to everybody for tuning in thanks to everybody on youtube hit that thumbs up before you leave hit that thumbs up right now all of you right before you leave Spread the word on YouTube. Thanks to everybody. See you Monday. Peace. It was a quick outro. <laughs>